As we get started this morning, I would love to ask you to put on your thinking caps or do whatever it is you do when you put yourself into a story, get your imagination going. It was the fall of 1996, the night when I met my husband. We were grad students in Portland, and there were a group of us gathered, and I had never met Nick until that moment. And as we talked, I heard him say he was from Atlanta, Georgia. And I said, oh, well, then I guess you're a Braves fan. And funny enough, he said, no, I'm actually a Cincinnati Reds fan. And I was intrigued by this guy. I said to him, well, Mr. Reds fan, tell me this. What was the starting lineup of the 1976 world champion Cincinnati Reds? And Nick began with first base, went around the horn, out to the outfield, then the catcher. And he could even list several members of the bullpen. You might imagine I was very intrigued. So time went on and we didn't really cross paths until about a year later. I was working late in my office and I heard this knock of all things at the window. And I went over and opened the window and there stood Nick in the bushes. He said, you, you're never home. I don't know how to get a hold of you, but I was wondering if you would go out with me. And that's how it all began. Well, a few months into things, Nick approached and he graciously pointed out that he didn't think I was giving to the relationship. And I got out my day planner and showed him that almost once a week for a few months I had been giving him time. Well, that didn't satisfy him for long because he brought the subject up again little bit later and he actually gave me a card on one occasion and I want you to see it you have made my heart beat faster I looked at that card and I knew there was nothing I had done to make anybody's heart beat faster so surely it must just be his blood pressure I didn't understand his intentions and so I did really the only thing I knew to do I broke up with him. <laughs> and a few days later, we ran into each other outside a classroom that we would both be going into. And I humbly went to him and said, would you please just sit by me so no one will know I broke up with you? <laughs> there was this pause and then Nick said, no, I want something more than just pretending to be in relationship. I just didn't get it. Right there he was. I, I had always claimed that's what I wanted, but I wasn't understanding. The words on that card just weren't sinking in yet. It was simply printed words on paper. But now, you might imagine, 15 years later, those words mean something really deep and personal to me. And I wonder if you've ever considered the Word of God. Words printed on paper. Listen to some of the words. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. The Lord is my shepherd, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's by grace you've been saved. What if the word of God from page one on through to the very end, what if all of this is actually a personal message from the God of the universe to each one of us as individuals? What if it's much more than words printed on paper? And what if the word of God is intended to be the doorway through which each one of us can grow in relationship with God. The Gospel of John gives an amazing picture of the Word of God. John chapter 1, page 1673 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And then dropping down to verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus is the Word of God, pre-existing, life-giving, illuminating. When you and I take time in the Word of God, we're taking time with Jesus. We continue this weekend in our series, Spiritual Apps. We're looking at disciplines, not things we check off to-do lists, not things we do so that somehow God, who already loves us perfectly, could love us more. But these are practices we do that help us draw closer to him, help us know him better. And this weekend, we're looking at the discipline called meditation. Just to begin really quickly with a basic definition. Meditation, to engage in thought or contemplation, to reflect. Some synonyms for this would be to ponder or ruminate, to think more deeply, to investigate. We'll get ourselves on the same page by looking at Scripture for some help on this topic. And the actual word meditation appears many times in the Bible. And then the idea of this meditation or this focused thought appears even more. But let's just try to get a bit of a better understanding what God has for us in this. Beginning with Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. 
And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. The commands of God were to be primary focus for the people of Israel. God's heart for them was that his word would be woven throughout the fabric of their day-to-day lives. This next verse, this is actually Joshua 1 verse 8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. The point for Joshua was that he would have no success apart from careful focus on the instruction that God would give him. And this next one, Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. Can you picture yourself standing tall and strong, your roots going deep into the very source of life? That's the picture the psalmist gives of the one who meditates day and night, fruitful, fully alive. And the next one, Psalm 145, I will meditate on your wonderful works. So, so we, we saw that it was meditating on the word of God and now the works of God. This is the stuff that God does. The creation, the things God has done throughout history, the things he's done in each one of our personal lives. This might be focused or concentrated thinking about the vast beauty of the ocean and its power. Or it might be really pondering that job God provided for you, the work of God, focused thinking about the things he has done. And then this next one, Isaiah 26, verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Here, the object of the meditation is actually God himself. The person's mind is trained to think about God. So there's pondering about the word of God and the work of God and God himself. And one more passage for us to look, like, look at from Ephesians 4. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And here the point is, these truths that we get from the Word, the, the living Word is Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit who will work them into our very beings and will realize that He winds up changing us, even to the way we think and the attitudes that we have. There are many more biblical references to meditation, and we don't have time for them now, but what we can understand is that meditation is just a, an intentional, focused thinking about God and his word and his works. And across the centuries, Christians 
have meditated. This is, this is something that Christians have done for generations. In the fourth century, a writer summarized the Christian life by saying two things, resist temptation and grow in contemplation and meditation. And then in the 12th century, a teacher put it this way, that sacred reading, and that's what Steve walked us through last week, that sacred reading and a contemplation guided by the Holy Spirit will nourish the Christian. And then in the 17th century, a Puritan church leader taught that the whole person must be engaged with God so that God will be able to change the whole person. The belief was that meditating would excite things in a person like courage and hope and love and joy. That's the something more than just words on a page. That's something more so that our lives will be changed when the living word comes into us and abides. During World War II, a German pastor who ultimately was martyred, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he had this to say about meditation. We want to rise up from our meditation in a different state from when we sat down. We want to meet Christ in his word. We turn to the text in our desire to hear what it is that he wants to give us and teach us today through his word. We're instructed by scripture and over the generations Christians have meditated and yet we come to our modern day lives right here, right now and it can be so lacking this intentional, focused thought Maybe there's a piece to this where, as Christians, we try to avoid the non-Christian philosophies wrapped up in some people's forms of meditation. And, and there's wisdom in being careful. But could it also be that we've gotten way too busy and we just don't take the time? Or could it be that we are so distracted Think about the technological advances just in the past 200 years. They've reduced our physical workload, but they've also somehow managed to just speed up the pace at which we do life. We receive messages hour by hour throughout the day, email, texts, Facebook updates, tweets, twits, countless media options, all this stuff coming at us. My husband and I, just in the past couple of weeks, watched this show on PBS, and it was depicting the story of the modern-day college student sitting in class, a professor teaching, probably taking notes on a laptop or another device, downloading data that had nothing to do with the topic of the class, updating his or her Facebook page, emailing somebody or texting just across the classroom, and each one of the students interviewed claimed to be a master at multitasking. But the research showed that not any of them were excelling 
in any of the things that they were doing all at once. Is there a pressure on us to live stretched way too thin? Is there something going on that's keeping us from the quiet that would help us go more readily to God? Many, many of my days are spent at home with my three kids, and we are in the dark ages when it comes to technology at our house. I mean, I live in fear of the day that our VCR dies. We'll lose most of our access to Winnie the Pooh at that point. But even though I'm in the dark ages, I'm bombarded. I can look at one page on my computer and there I get all this information, sports scores, fashion tips, outcomes of court cases, fires in Colorado, medical mysteries, medical discoveries, wars all over the world. And then right before bed, I can flip on the TV and get my top 10 at 10, 10 quick stories at 10 o'clock. Boom, 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 boom. And I fall into bed with a mind that has no rest. I'm bombarded with information, but really I just have snippets or fragments of the whole story. And I don't really ever have time to think seriously about any of it. I know tons, and yet in many respects, I know nothing. Peeking at a home page on my computer or getting my top 10 at 10, it does not afford me the time I need to actually understand my world. Have you ever been in such a hurry that Google was slow for you? Could it be that all this access makes it easier for us to see what someone else says than to consider what we actually think about it ourselves? And if this is just the routine stuff of life, could it be possible that our focused meditative practice is lacking? Is it easier for you and me to read what someone says about the book of Ephesians than actually spending time in Ephesians ourselves? Listen to the words of former missionary and theologian Bruce Demarest. To meditate as a Christian is to cultivate the soil of the soul which the traffic of the world compacts and hardens. It is the replanting of the word seed, the uprooting of sin's weeds, the nurturing of truth into fruitful activity. Do you long for the hard places in your heart to be cultivated once again? Do you long for the weeds to be pulled and the word to be planted that you might grow up and engage fruitfully with life. That's something more than just words on a page. What could it look like for you and me to meditate? There's no cookie cutter mold, there's no quick, 
easy method that's the one and only method. But let's think about this and just consider, how do I begin? Ask God for a desire for his word. None of us will ever long for the word of God if he doesn't give us the desire. Strategize for a quiet space. It might be someplace in your home. Maybe it would be in your car just right before you back out of the driveway. Maybe it's across the street in the upper room. Could be almost anywhere, but it will require strategy on your part and mine. And then simply ask God to direct you to someplace in his word. When we ask God to guide our meditation, we position ourselves as the learner before him. So just a few ideas about how to begin. And then, what might it look like? What might it look like? Maybe you would read the passage. You might only spend just three or four minutes reading. Ask God what he would like to teach you. What does this say about you, God? What does it say about me? How does this passage help me understand the world around me? And then ask God to remind you of the passage. As you go to work or to school or to Costco or wherever it is you're going that day. And as God does this, pause and hear what it is he would say to you. Notice if what you read that morning makes sense in your day. You'll just travel through your day like you would any ordinary day and there will be the ups and downs that we all have, but you'll begin to notice the word of God applies to me. And then maybe toward the end of your day, read the passage again. Again, just maybe three or four minutes, just at the end of the day. Interact with God about it. Ask him any more questions you have. Tell him where you think it applied to your day. And then, if it was the craziest thing you've ever read, be sure to tell him that. Let him know that you don't get it yet. And then just humbly thank God for anything good that came from your practice that day. And ask him to give you desire for his word again, maybe as soon as tomorrow. God's word has a way of feeding us and we don't get full, but we get more hungry. God will show each one of us what meditation would look like for us. From person to person, it will differ. From season to season in one person's life, it will differ. Over the years, I've meditated in a variety of ways. Um, the glory years for me were, was this season where I had long amounts of time to sit with God sometimes an hour or two a day. And then Nick and I had three children in less than 18 months. And long periods to sit and do anything are gone now. 
My meditation practice needed to change. When my boys were first born, our house became a 24-hour diner, just feeding all around the clock. During that year, I left my Bible open on the bathroom counter. And when I would come stumbling back from one of many middle-of-the-night feedings, I would stop at the bathroom counter, read one verse, collapse back into bed, and just beg God to give me something. I was starving. Well, now my kids are six and four and a half and four and a half, so I'm in another new season. No matter what season of life any of us are in, God loves to give himself to us as we meditate, as we focus our attention to him. Just this past Thursday morning, I woke up way before dawn, and I was troubled. I was struggling. I dragged myself out of bed, got a cup of coffee in my Bible, and I plopped down in my chair. There was nothing I could do for myself. My Bible wasn't even open. And I just began to ask God, please give me something. And as I sat there in the quiet, I just began to sense the slightest nudge. If you were there, you would not have noticed a thing. It wasn't audible. There was nothing you would have noticed. It was just a nudge within me. And so I followed that nudge to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And I began to honestly tell God that I didn't feel at all like I had everything I needed. And I asked him to show me what I wasn't seeing, to show me how he was shepherding me, taking care of me. And he began to do that. And I continued to sit. I, I, I longed for more. And, and the second nudge came. And I turned to Philippians, and within a minute, I came to he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And I knew that was for me. There was no trumpet blast. The clouds didn't part. And I'll be really honest, the, the struggles weren't changed. But somehow, in just a tiny way, I was changed. And for one more day, I had the confidence of the presence of God. I had the courage to get up from my chair and obey what he wanted me to do. I had the awareness that the written word had been taken from my head and the living word had planted it in my heart and my soul was soothed. That's what happens when you and I bond with Jesus. When we focus our attention on his word, on his work, on him, he longs to meet us. He longs to take us deeper into relationship with him. It's more 
than simply words that are written on pages.